It's Thursday, June 8th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, there is a lot of smoke on the East Coast this morning. My goodness, blowing in from Canada. We are going to talk about how much longer that smoke will be around, plus what started those fires to begin with. Second, folks, grab your maps, because we are going to go around the world this morning, and we're going to talk about wheat And it is a conversation that has very important impacts on you and your family. Third, America's economy is separating from China's this morning. That is big news. And it was a key takeaway from data released by the U.S. Commerce Department yesterday. We're going to talk about it, plus why we should care. Fourth, there is a brewing scandal in the Latin American country of Colombia. And it involves a nanny, a wiretap, and a $3.4 million campaign contribution Oh, it's such a good story. It's coming up. Later, we close out the podcast with two things. First, a listener named Norman was not happy about my recent coverage of Ukraine. Second, I've got an update for you on that listener survey that I mentioned yesterday. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Over 100 million Americans on the East Coast are under a health advisory this morning as smoke from wildfires a thousand miles away up in Canada drift to U.S. states from Massachusetts all the way down to North Carolina. Now, a lot of the focus has been on reports that the air quality index for New York City reached record levels, hazardous levels yesterday afternoon, the worst that the city has actually ever recorded in its modern history. But impacts are being felt up and down the eastern seaboard. The city of Philadelphia, for instance, warned residents to stay inside Meanwhile, those exact same warnings went out to people in New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Delaware, Virginia, and even parts of North Carolina, all telling residents to avoid outdoor activities due to the smoke. All right, how long is this going to last? Well, part of the answer is how long those Canadian fires are going to be burning and sending that smoke south and east. More on that in a second. But the other considerations that we have to look at include wind patterns and pressure systems. And both of those, according to meteorologists, well, they're saying that these two things will probably end up being, well, two to three more days of intense smoke before it all clears out. But let's talk about what's creating the smoke, right? According to the French media outlet AFP, the province of Quebec has 150 fires burning out of control this morning, which is a problem because officials say that they only have enough crew members to fight 40 fires at a time. Now, the Canadian officials have put out word for help with responders in the U.S. and France on the way. So all told, Canada is actually seeing a record number of wildfires all across the country this morning, not just in Quebec. So let's ask ourselves why that is. Who or what is starting these fires? Well, according to the Canada Drought Monitor, all 10 provinces in Canada are experiencing some degree of drought, although most of that is out in the western parts of Canada, around Edmonton, uh, Calgary, and Saskatoon. But beyond dry conditions that obviously create fuel for the fires, the actual fires themselves are being caused by two age-old culprits, lightning and humans. 
According to CBS News, half of wildland fires in Canada are started by lightning, while the other half are humans. Well, um, they're causing them on purpose or by accident. So for now, what authorities report is that the fires in Quebec are largely being started by recent series of lightning strikes. But out west in Alberta, that's man-made, although officials have not said exactly who is responsible or why they did it. But arson is possible. And that's why I'm both watching this story and bringing it to you this morning. Right, The United States has seen environmental activists start fires out in our western United States over the years. I shared details on that back on May 10th. So let's see if this is just nature at work in Canada, or rather, there are some eco-terrorists who are involved in some of these fires. I'll keep you posted. With that, let's move on to our second brief this morning. And we have to get out our maps for this one, ladies and gentlemen, because we are off on a journey around the world talking about wheat. And let's start with something that you might not know. Wheat is the second most consumed grain in the world. In fact, it's just ahead of rice, although a little bit behind corn. That, by the way, is according to data from the company Statista. And that means that when we lose globally a a wheat crop or prices go up, it affects a whole bunch of people. And that is what prompted this brief this morning. I told you yesterday about the dam bursting in Ukraine. And that wiped out wheat crops, it damaged farm ground, and ultimately it caused wheat prices to shoot up. So grab your maps, whether that be on your phone or your computer or in your mind, and let's actually start this morning's conversation about wheat in China, specifically the Hunan province, which sits just south of Beijing and just north of the infamous city of Wuhan. And it is here in this very historically rich region that China grows most of its wheat. In fact, China is the world's largest producer of wheat, and most of it is grown in this province. But what's interesting about China is that they don't export any of that wheat, actually. They consume it, probably because they have 1.4 billion people to feed. And here's why that's relevant. If China has a bad wheat crop, all right, they have to increase their imports. And that means that they compete for the same wheat that everybody else in the world wants. And that ultimately or usually bumps up prices. And unfortunately, that is the scenario that we're seeing unfolding this morning in China. So here's what we know based on reporting from Reuters News Service and the South China Morning Post. So over the past two weeks, many parts of China have received some pretty unseasonable amounts of rain. Local officials are calling it the worst pre-harvest rainfall in 10 years. And that rain has caused a disease called blight, which ruins or limits the use of the wheat crop. Well, the Chinese government has responded in, well, the only way that they would probably do. They have sent in 30,000 combines and 4,600 drying machines to harvest, well, their wheat crop more quickly. But despite those efforts, local and national officials are saying that wheat yields will be lower this year and China may need to seek out additional supplies in the international marketplace. That is, if their massive stock of wheat in storage, which, by the way, is the world's largest, well, that doesn't hold up. So, my friends, if China has to go wheat shopping, they are going to be looking to a handful of key exporters of wheat all around the world, and they're probably going to start with the country of Russia. And here's why. So if you have those maps out, I want you to look at the western edge of Russia to the areas called the Central, North, and South Caucasus regions. Right, Those are closest to Ukraine, the Black Sea, and the country of Georgia. 
right? That is where most of Russia's wheat comes from. Although there is some uh, as well in the southern Siberian region and the Volga region. But nevertheless, it is in those collective regions that over the past 20 years, Russia has dramatically expanded its production, which has led Moscow to become the world's largest exporter of wheat. In fact, last year, they had a record crop. That is according to multiple media outlets, including the Russian analytical group Pozerna, who also says that this year's crop should rank pretty high as well in terms of both production and export. Well, that is, of course, if Russia manages to export that bumper crop, but that's in doubt, all due to the war in Ukraine. And that's because ultimately Moscow has struggled with how and where it might send those exports abroad. Right, the Black Sea is under threat. Rail cars are in short supply, instead sending men and war material. Plus, shipping and insurance companies, especially in the West, are nervous to touch anything that is made or grown in Russia, even though Western sanctions do not apply to Russian wheat. All right, well, if Russia somehow ends up struggling to get their wheat to export markets, who else can we or China or anybody else turn to for wheat? Well, we can turn to the European Union, which when you consider all the 27 nations combined, they are the largest exporter of wheat after Russia. And so far this season, ladies and gentlemen, the wheat crop in Europe, it's looking, well, not too bad. According to Bloomberg News, France's crop should be up 6% this year. Romania, they're looking at a 13% rebound from last year's drought-plagued crop. Plus there's Poland. They've actually got a pretty good healthy crop this year, lots in storage. In fact, they're also exporting wheat to the United States. That's pretty rare. I shared with you that information back on May 19th. However, Europe does have some issues. There's a terrible drought in Spain that I told you about back on May 10th, and countries like Italy are struggling with the drought as well. So if we end up having limited European supply, we have to look for a few other nations that are pretty big exporters and pretty far away on the map. And those would be our friends in Australia and Canada. Let's start in Australia, because unfortunately, they are in the midst of something called a new El Nino weather pattern, and that is making the country drier, with predictions that they are going to have lower wheat yields this year, well, for the next year or two, actually. Meanwhile, in Canada, I've got some pretty good overall news, at least as of a week ago. Predictions from the Canadian government are saying, well, that national wheat crop this year, it's going to be up 7.5% as compared to last year. Which, of course, takes us home to the United States, which in and of itself is a major wheat exporter and consumer. Unfortunately, the jury is still out on this year's wheat crop for us. I've shared previous news, unfortunately bad news, on the wheat crops in Kansas and Oklahoma. Unfortunately, a very severe drought there but we've got a modestly better uh, set of uh, wheat numbers in the Ohio River Valley. But overall, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is going to be putting out a report as of early July about what they are initially seeing for their first rounds of predictions. So hang your hats tight on that one. But I'll tell you, did you notice something throughout this brief? I kept using the word prediction or predictions or forecasts. And that's because all this good news or bad news is well, depending on the day, just a, an estimate before nature decides to throw us maybe a, a surprise, a sudden burst of rain or a jolt of heat. So that is why I'm going to keep my eye on this year's global wheat harvest 
because not only will it affect heavily your wallet or your family's budget, it's also going to affect the fortunes of countries all around the world, as we discussed this morning. But I want to highlight one last country for you. It's the country in the Middle East called Egypt, which holds the following very unfortunate position. It is the most reliant country in the world on foreign wheat, right? 96% of what they consume each year has to be shipped in from abroad. And that is not a good position to be in. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I am going to be keeping you posted on all things wheat. And with that, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners. And then in about a minute, we'll be right back. Friends, I'm excited to tell you about Arc Seed Kits, like Noah's Ark. And here's why I'm excited. On The Right Report, we talk a lot about two things. We talk about your pocketbook and how to save you some money. We also talk about preparing for global events, like how we could find ourselves at war in Asia. Well, with Arc Seed Kits, you can address both of those concerns at once. The all-in-one seed kit helps you grow your own food for life. It has over 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables sprouting from 50,000 heirloom seeds. And let me tell you why that is so important. Heirloom seeds last year after year. Each crop helps you grow the next. But that's not true of 95% of most seeds that you buy. Those last only one year. That's why heirloom seeds from ARC Seed Kits are so great. It's a lifetime of food security. So go to arcseedkits.com. Again, that's ARC like Noah's ARC. And buy your heirloom seeds today. And if you do, make sure you use promo code right like my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, and that'll get you 10% off your order. So go to arcseedkits.com, promo code right, and invest in good food and a bigger wallet for life. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. So let's start first in China, where we've got an update on their economy and its connection to ours. According to new data out from the U.S. Department of Commerce, Beijing's economy is drifting further away from the U.S. in terms of exports to this country, albeit slowly. But in China's place are countries from other parts of Asia and Europe that have much friendlier relations with America. And that has very important implications for world affairs, especially if a war were ever to come between Beijing and Washington, D.C. in the years ahead. But before we get to all of that, let's just start with this. China controls around 30% of global manufacturing. But because of increasing costs of Chinese labor and China's COVID lockdowns, well, those two things have forced a lot of companies with Chinese operations to increasingly consider moving their facilities elsewhere. In fact, data from last fall, highlighted by CNBC, show that other countries in Southeast Asia are picking up those operations that are leaving China. And those other countries include India, Bangladesh, Thailand, and Vietnam. Now, many of those countries are substantially more friendly to us than China is. And that is a good thing if you're America, right? Economists call this movement friendshoring. In other words, manufacturers could bring jobs and factories back to American shores, but because of, frankly, cheap labor, they uh, instead choose to go to our friends and their shores in places like Vietnam and Bangladesh. But in other cases, companies are relocating to Mexico to be closer to the American market, but still enjoy all those cheap wages down there. 
And that is what economists are calling nearshoring rather than friendshoring. But the point, folks, is that the global economy is changing with an increasing separation between the U.S. and China. And that, ladies and gentlemen, takes us to the data that was released yesterday by the U.S. Commerce Department. In fact, the Wall Street Journal reported that Chinese exports accounted for only 15% of the goods that America buys from abroad, right? And that 15% is the lowest level of bilateral trade since 2006, right? The data also confirmed that this trend of friend-shoring and near-shoring, well, that's accelerating. We're getting an increasing amount of our goods from other Asian countries, plus Europe and Mexico. All right, so why does that matter to folks like you and your family? Well, let me briefly pivot away from facts and data this morning to my opinion and analysis. The reason that I think this matters is this. So there are concerns shared by the U.S. Pentagon and others that war with China between the United States and China over Taiwan could begin as soon as this year or more probably by the year 2027. And if that were to happen, God forbid, right, we would hopefully have fewer of the things that we have to buy coming from Beijing. Well, this morning's data tell us that, thankfully, that is slowly starting to happen. We are importing fewer goods from China than in almost 20 years. But we have to be candid on this one, folks. Beijing still has us by the throat on some very key products, such as cancer drugs and other pharmaceuticals, which I mentioned to you on Monday's brief. The same is also true for things like batteries and solar panels, as I've spoken with you about extensively in the past. And then there's this odd little issue. Chinese companies themselves are increasingly relocating to the, uh, well, friendly nations that I just mentioned, especially Vietnam, Bangladesh, and Mexico. So, while this concept of nearshoring and friendshoring, well, they're happening and perhaps it's good. Well, not all of those companies are necessarily friends in these otherwise friendly countries, right? Nor do we really want them near us because of their ultimate loyalty to the Communist Party. But still, despite all of these concerns, what the data show is that ever so slowly, we are starting to see some early signs that we are pulling the economic cancer, as it were, of the Communist Chinese Party out of our economic body, and we are starting anew. And that is a good thing, whether war with China should come or not. Finally, ladies and gentlemen, we move on to our last story of the morning, and this is a good one. It is a, it's a saga, really, not even a story, out of the country of Colombia. And it could lead to the president of that country in either serious legal trouble or maybe even removal if it gets bad enough. But let's start first with why we should care about this country. The first reason is our national pocketbook. So consider that Colombia buys a substantial amount of our wheat and corn and other ag products, about $2.5 billion worth each year. The other reason to care is U.S. aid. We send around $450 million in aid each year, mostly in military assistance to bring to justice some drug cartel members and terrorists yeah, associated with left-wing violence. Well, all of that trade and aid was put in jeopardy last summer after voters in Colombia elected a man to the presidency named Gustavo Petro. Now, here is something incredible about this man. Mr. Petro is a former member of a leftist terrorist organization called M-19, and he spent time in prison for it 
back in the 1980s. Well, he was pardoned for what he did and resurrected his political journey, finally winning the presidency last summer. Now, to be fair, he says that his days of terrorism are over and, frankly, have been misunderstood. And he says that all while saying that he still considers himself to be a leftist revolutionary, but rather he's just a revolutionary for true democracy, you see. Anyway, so there is something that we need to talk about regarding this President Petro, and it involves a nanny, wiretapping, and a $3.4 million campaign contribution So here's what we know this morning with details a little bit fuzzy, but nevertheless, it's what we know as reported by the French media outlet AFP, Bloomberg News, the British Guardian newspaper, and the Arab outlet Al Jazeera. So let's go back to last June. Mr. Petro was freshly elected president, and one of his aides, who's chief of staff actually, hired a nanny. And allegedly this nanny a few months later stole upwards of $7,000, Meanwhile, another aide, Mr. Petro's former campaign chief, he hired this same nanny too. Well, the nanny was stealing cash from him as well. At some point, the first staffer subjected the nanny to a polygraph examination, a lie detector test to prove the theft. And then somebody tapped the nanny's phone. It appears that Colombian law enforcement officials actually did it, but they didn't do so lawfully. Well, then the two aides apparently tried to hide the whole deal, but then they started getting angry with each other and started leaving very nasty and very damning voicemails. Well, some of those voicemails leaked to a local paper. And here's what President Petro's campaign chief said in one of those voicemails. Quote, I wasn't threatening you, but I am threatening you now, you son of a beep. Both you and the president understood If you want me to threaten you, I will come out and reveal everything that I know, which is enough to end your world and mine. We will all go down. We will all be done. We will all go to jail. End quote. He then went on to reference a $3.4 million campaign contribution that President Petro received under, shall we say, questionable circumstances. Well, as you can imagine, this has captured the attention of the Colombian people and the attorney general of Colombia. He is now investigating the case, although President Petro's leftist allies in Congress are now threatening to investigate the attorney general for, listen to this, quote, insubordination and disobedience. This is so good. It's like a soap opera. It's brilliant. Anyway, the bottom line, folks, is that I suspect that this, you know, nanny gate is going to get extra spicy in the months to come, and I'm here for it. And I'm going to bring you the updates on this soap opera because, to be serious, it has very clear implications for American taxpayers and factories and farmers alike because we've got all that trade and aid. But mostly it's because it's such a fun story. More to come. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, and we will be right back. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today, and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. 
CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. Actually, two things. First, an email from a listener, Norman, from somewhere in America. He was quite upset about the brief that I gave you on Tuesday about how some elements of the Ukrainian military have affinities for or a connection to Nazism, Nazi beliefs, or white supremacy convictions. I cited recent reporting from the New York Times and Reuters News Service about that. Well, Norman said, quote, you failed to mention one relevant fact, which is that Zelensky, the democratically elected leader of Ukraine, is a Jew. By omitting this fact, your news, quote unquote, amounts to nothing more than recycled Kremlin propaganda. It is truly sad to see you putting your great talents to such an odious use. I urge you to do some soul searching and change course. Well, Norman, I appreciate your note. Uh, but the bottom line here is that, that the facts are clear and they are, well, as I say, stubborn things. As the New York Times and Reuters News Service are both showing very clearly this morning, to include reference to what the Greek government said to Zelensky himself, there are still elements within the Ukrainian system that struggle with this historical connection to Nazi sympathies. In fact, they're not historical at all. Now, you're right to say that Putin is trying to take advantage of that for his own propaganda purposes. right? But you're wrong to suggest that somehow we shouldn't talk about it, right? What's clear is that there is a problem of radicalism, effectively, with some members of the Ukrainian military forces. To pretend like that's not true, that is just something that I am not able to do. All right, that, ladies and gentlemen, takes me to the second thing that I wanted to discuss with you before I let you go. And it has to do with gratitude and clarification regarding that listener survey I told you about yesterday. So let me recap. Yesterday, I made a pretty big ask of you all. I requested you to go to the show notes of the episode. That's go into your podcast platform. You look at the episode itself, and there are the show notes about what we discussed. Well, at the top of those notes, you should have seen a link to a listener survey. And that survey was and is very important to me, in part because your answers are going to help me uh, shape the future of the podcast, absolutely. But also, well, potential uh, sponsors and advertisers have been a little bit reluctant to work with me because, well, they're telling me that I don't know who you are, right? I don't have any data on who y'all are, like what industries you work in or what states you live in, that kind of stuff. Well, around a thousand of you filled out that survey yesterday, and that's incredible. Thank you so much. But other folks, especially on the Apple podcast platform, some of you all weren't able to do so. The survey link, bizarrely, was not there, even though we put it there. So we had a nice conversation with Apple, and we fixed the problem. So if I may, let me make this pitch to you one more time. If you could give me five to seven minutes of your morning or day, I'd love for you to go to your podcast platform, whatever that might be, go to today's episode and find the show notes. And I believe, God willing, at the top, there should be a link for listener survey. And within five to seven minutes, you will be done. 
and it will give me a huge gift, ladies and gentlemen, one that is going to help me ensure that I can keep delivering this podcast to you all free of charge. Unfortunately, I need those advertisers. So as ever, I know that everybody is busy. So thank you for whatever consideration you can give to this request. I am honored and humbled that a thousand of you already have. Thank you. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.